Have you ever faced a situation where someone gave you something with no strings attached, and you thought to yourself, okay, surely there's a catch or something, right? You can probably all think of something. The best example I could think of was when Alyssa and I were flying up to New England to see Alyssa's parents before Zeke was born, and we went to go get our rental car. And I was supposed to get a Nissan Versa or something like that, and they offered me an upgrade to this souped-up Dodge Challenger. Don't you love it when that happens? It's, so I, this is great, but I was really skeptical that I wasn't going to get charged more for it uh, because I know how this is supposed to work where you, usually you don't have to pay for that upgrade, but the guy who offered me the upgrade handed me off to another guy who didn't seem to realize that it wasn't the car that I had requested, and, and then he was the one that checked me out and gave me the keys and in that moment, I was honestly just too passive and flustered to ask what the price would be and just double check on that because this is like, would be like three or four times more money than the Versa that I was supposed to get was going to cost. Um, so I, we ended up taking the car, but the whole week I was anxious about getting the bill and I didn't actually get to enjoy driving the car as much as I could have. It, isn't that just how we're wired? We, we know when there's a good deal offered to us, if it's free and it's a really good one, especially that, oh, surely there's a catch or something. This is just how the world works, right? Can't this be just like us when we face the fact that faith in Christ is enough to save us? As Christians, we have been given the gift of the gospel and we have trusted in Christ alone for our salvation, and, and we rejoice in this good news that is now ours. It's freely given to us by God's amazing grace. But then, here comes the flesh, right? We are prone to wonder. And instead of resting in the fact that our faith is enough to justify us in Christ, sometimes our lives or our actions drift into saying, oh, surely there's a catch, surely there's more to it than this. And so we take up a burden, and we try to figure out where the work is in all of this. It's kind of like when you're searching YouTube videos trying to fix your sink, and the next thing you know, you're watching a video about how normal objects look tiny in Shaq's hands. And you're like, you're like how did I get here? <laughs> we, just, we just go there. We just drift without realizing it. What we should be enjoying in Christ's gift of salvation we can be tempted to think that we're not actually sure we can enjoy it or we should enjoy it. Or we let fear, guilt, or works pull us towards acting in a way that contradicts the very gospel that was given to us. And that's not only the problem that we face, but this is the exact problem that the Galatians are facing in our text today. What we're seeing is the Apostle Paul in this text, he's going hard in the paint and he's trying to rescue the Galatians from their waywardness when it comes to them thinking, surely there's more to this. Surely there's more to being made right with God and getting in on God's promises than just having faith in Christ. And this is what the Judaizers said. The Galatians were drinking the Kool-Aid of the Judaizers that they needed to be circumcised and they needed to follow the law and that would do the trick. They would be justified before God. As Jared said last week, this was so helpful. He said the Galatians added a yes but to the gospel. And when we add that yes but to the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. And if there is no gospel, well, then there's no hope for us at all. 
this is why Paul is so fired up in Galatians 3. And, and this is why sola fide, oh, he got the right slide, all right. Thank you, brother. This is why sola fide, faith alone, is absolutely vital to the integrity of the gospel. Because as Paul says, just before our passage in Galatians 2.21, you can see it right there, if righteousness comes through anything else but faith, then Christ died for nothing. And this is all pointless. It doesn't work. So in our text, we are going to see that the Galatians forgot two things. One, they forgot faith in Christ was enough to be made right with God. And the word we use for that is to be justified. And second, the second thing they forgot was that that same faith in Christ was enough to be God's children of promise. So in a way, what we're doing is we're looking at how the Galatians got lazy with two different doctrines, the justification and adoption. You see that? And so these are, the, these are two sides of this multifaceted diamond that is the doctrine of salvation. So there's, there are more sides to this, but today we're going to look at those two. And the reason is because of faith's role in them here, specifically. So the main idea that encompasses both of the points that I'm about to share with you is, is that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. But then the two points that I have are going to break that down and show that one, we are justified through faith alone. That's verses 1 through 6. We are justified through faith alone. And then verses 7 through 9 is my second point. We are adopted through faith alone. And if there's one thing I've been praying that you would walk away with this morning, I hope it's this, that Christian, you can rest in the fact that faith is enough. There's no measuring up. There's no work that needs to be done. You are free to enjoy God's gift of grace. And anyone, to any one of you who has not put your faith, in, your faith in Christ, your trust in Christ, that rest is offered to you too this morning. It's with nothing required at all but faith in Christ alone. So with that, our first point is we are justified through faith alone. And most of the meat is packed into this first point, so we're going to spend most of our time here and uh, then on the second point, so just a heads up there. What we see that follows from verse 1, let's look down at our Bibles now, verse 1 all the way to verse 6. So verse 1 to 6, we see seven questions. You see that? And Paul is asking these to yank the Galatians out of, his, out of their foolishness. And he's yanking them off a cliff and back into the wisdom and the truth of God's word. He, he just asks question after question after question. You see that? Just rapid fire, bang, bang, bang. And you'll notice pretty quick what's missing after those questions. Answers, right? And why? It's because these are rhetorical questions. You know how rhetorical questions work, right? You don't ask the questions to get an answer. Paul already knew all the answers. Why do you ask them? You ask them to make a point. So I think the main point of all seven of these questions can be summed up in our first point here, that we are justified through faith in Christ alone. The Galatians needed to be reminded of this truth, and we do too. So Paul goes about this, I think, by using verse 1 
to remind us of Jesus' role in our justification. And then I think he uses verses 2 through 6 to remind us of our role in justification. So we're going to work through these questions in two chunks. Verse 1, Jesus' role. Verse 2 through 6, our role, in a sense. So look down at verse 1. Paul starts off with some really tough love here, doesn't he? He says, you foolish Galatians. Ouch. <laughs> Why would he call the Galatians foolish here? What's so, what's so foolish? Well, the answer, I think, is in verse 1 there. Paul writes, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? The short answer here is that they forgot Jesus' work was finished on the cross. So they were trying to do a work that had already been done. And to take it further, their foolishness stemmed from the fact that they let their gaze slip off the object of their faith, which is Christ crucified. Paul's saying, look, look who this is about. Before I help you remember that you're justified through faith alone, you've got to remember that your faith, your belief, your trust, it has an object. And that object is Jesus Christ. Well, but don't just stop there. The object of our faith isn't merely Jesus Christ either. To dig deeper into the heart of faith's role in salvation, we see that Paul brings out that it's a faith in what? Christ crucified. Not merely Christ, but Christ crucified. Why does that matter? What's significant about that phrase? Christ crucified has a finality to it. As in, what Jesus did, it already happened. It's done. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and he hung there, his body wasn't just physically dying. He was at work. And this was the work. While he was up on that cross, Jesus was actively paying the penalty for what we deserve because of our sinfulness. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty for our sin was the wrath and just anger of God being poured out on Jesus. So while Jesus hung there, something was happening. All the punishment we deserved, LBC, every sin you and I have ever committed, ever will commit, he said, Jesus said, I'll pay it for them. Charge it to my account. We use this word sometimes, the word mediator. You know that word? Um, we use this as, a, as to explain someone who acts as a go-between when two parties are, are broken and, and need to be reconciled together. Jesus is the mediator between us and the Father. He's the only way, the only truth, life, through which we can be made right with God. Because otherwise, we have no shot at being justified. We're stained. We're sinful, broken people. We can't measure up to what God requires of us to justify ourselves on our own. If we did, we'd have to follow God's law perfectly, and, and we simply cannot do that. Just look at the last two hours of your life and you know that's true. 
But it is possible for Jesus to be the mediator because he could fulfill the law's demands and be the perfect, the spotless, the sinless sacrifice that our sin could be passed to so that we could be passed over. And when Jesus finally paid the penalty for our sin and our disobedience on the cross, what were the words that came out of his mouth? It is finished. It is done. I want you to picture that you've got a friend who built a new house and built a brand new house and they're going to move into it. And they call you, they say, hey, can you come and help me move into my house? You say, sure, yeah, I'll come over. Brand new house, you drive up and the moving truck's there. And you see your friend on the top of the roof with a nail gun and they're trying to nail in a brand new roof on top of the one that was just built for them. So you're looking at that thinking, what in the world? What would you say to them <laughs> in that moment? You'd say, hey, you're not a roofer. <laughs> what are you doing? Get down from there. Why don't you, you know, trust the roof that was completed and built for you by someone who actually knew what they were doing and just quit trying to add on to what's already finished? <laughs> right? This gives us a picture of the foolishness that the Galatians slipped into and that we can slip into as well when we forget that Christ's work is finished. And when we try to add our own works, we just look like that friend who's trying to pointlessly add to the finished work. So when we talk about faith in Christ as Christ crucified, as Paul did, we are confessing as a people that Jesus did all the work that I just described. It's not us. And his work is completed, and there's nothing we could have done in the first place, or let alone now. It, it is finished. This is Christ's role in justification, and all of that is packed in verse 1, reminding the Galatians of Christ crucified. So now, what is our role? So now we're going to shift and look at verses 2 through 6. There are two broken parties. We have Jesus as the mediator, but what are we to do? This is what Paul seeks to clear up in verses 2 through 6. So our role is this, just this, simply have faith in Christ crucified. We trust in his work. No works of our own can justify us. Only faith in Christ. That's enough. And Paul makes his point here by attacking the battlefield, I think, on two different fronts. Two different fronts. We see, one, he appeals to the Galatians' experience. And then two, he finishes with appealing to Scripture itself. So let's look at that first front. Paul appeals to the Galatians' experience. He's trying to prove to the Galatians that because they were justified by faith at the beginning, their works don't pick up the job at some point, and that fact never changes. So you'll see there uh, that Paul mentions the Holy Spirit a lot here in these questions, verses 2 through 6. You find where Holy Spirit is? Or, or I guess it just says Spirit. It doesn't say Holy Spirit, but it's the same. He says in verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So when he's saying receiving the Spirit, this is another way of saying when we were saved or justified because we know that there's no salvation without the Holy Spirit's work. John 3, 5, Jesus says, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Paul is saying, 
remember how you were saved because you already have been. (laughs) Has something changed? Because you're acting like it has. Has some new scripture come out or something? These were questions to wake up and help the Galatians look at their hearts. And these are questions that are here to draw us out of our own hearts and our heads, too, back to the truth of God's word. Romans 8.30 says, And those who God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There is a promised trajectory of God's plan of salvation for you, Christian. So when you are in a season where you see your works driving you, you recognize that, remember that God's word has you on a different course. Don't be deceived. You began in the spirit and have the spirit now, which means slavery to sin and to your works, they have no hold on you. So don't finish in the flesh. Remember how you began this race and remember how God's word promises that you will end it by his grace. And then Paul attacks the second front, and he drops the hammer. He brings out his ace in the hole, and he brings up Abraham's faith and appeals directly to Scripture in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. So he's, he, what's cool here is he's sticking it to the false teachers who are using that same Old Testament. And he's saying in verse 5, look down at that, Does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. The reason that this is Paul's ace in the hole and why it's so helpful for us too is one, the law didn't even exist until 430 years later for Abraham. Two, circumcision, that wasn't a covenant symbol for Abraham yet until a couple chapters later. So it's clear that those things aren't what's justifying him because they didn't even exist. And three, this was straight from Scripture in Genesis 15.6. This was God's word, making it clear as day that righteousness was credited to Abraham because he believed. And that righteousness credited to Abraham, that is Jesus' righteousness. It's Jesus' spotless, perfect, and worthy righteousness. And yes, Abraham didn't know about Jesus, but he believed and he trusted and he had faith in the word of God, though, and God's promises, and all of that was pointing to Jesus. God spoke, Abraham believed the word of God. So Paul makes it clear, it was never about following the law, it was never about circumcision, those are called works. God doesn't credit Jesus' righteousness to you for those things or for anything else. Works, they do have a place, and it's important to say this here. They do have a place, and they can't be separated from faith. But works in themselves aren't what justify a person. Works show that someone is justified. So moving from Abraham to us now, our role is a simple step to hear the word of God just like Abraham did and to place your faith in it. 
Abraham did it with trusting the word of God and, and, and the promises that were pointing to Jesus. But today, we also believe in the word of God too, though. But that word of God is now the word made flesh in Christ. So for all of us, all of that is required is a faith in Jesus Christ. All the work both Jesus took on us, took on from us in our sin and our disobedience, and what he transfers to us, which is his righteousness, all that is his, all that work is his alone. And all that is required of us is just to have simple faith in this work. Martin Luther said this. I worked really hard to only have Luther one time in here. Learn, he says this, he says, learn to understand the constitution, or you could say the foundation or the makeup of your Christian righteousness. Faith is weak, but it means enough to God that he will not lay sin to our charge. He will not punish nor condemn us for it. He will forgive our sins as though they amount to nothing at all. He will do it not because we are worthy of such mercy, He will do it for Jesus' sake, in whom we believe. So, like the Galatians, we've been reminded of our justification through faith in Christ alone. So now what? If you have trusted in Christ in this room, then you need to rest in the fact that the work of Christ is finished, and you are justified through your faith in Christ. Have you taken on a burden that's been weighing your soul down? Christ has already borne your greatest burden so that you do not have to. You're bearing something that he already has and he's already conquered. And Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, for freedom Christ has set you free. There's freedom in Christ. Do you struggle to feel like your status can change or your favor can change before God? Has this been maybe a pattern in your life, maybe from your family or from your past experiences that your status can change with people based on your performance and you've let that kind of drift into how you think about your status or your favor with God? When you trusted in Christ, your status became final and finished. Your status and your favor in him cannot change. Because when God sees you, guess who he sees? Jesus. You are loved and you are approved of. And Jesus' work has sealed that promise. It is finished. Those of us who know the gospel and we have been saved, we know that the gospel changes everything, right? It, it changes how we see life, how we treat others. It changes our whole world. So we need to keep that gospel in front of our eyes all the time. Or we drift from the very core of God's story and his plan for us in the church, right? This is why we gather every Sunday. Well, being justified by faith in Christ alone is, is such a core component of this gospel that this too must be kept in front of our eyes often. Maybe it's worth memorizing scripture to keep this in front of you. A great one is Romans 4, 5. It's an easy verse that points straight to what I'm speaking to. It says, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith 
is credited for righteousness. Maybe that can be a helpful way to apply this and keep this doctrine in front of your eyes. It can be sitting under the preached word like you're doing this morning. So you're hearing about these core doctrines that make up the gospel. It can be listening to our worship playlists and and singing or memorizing our songs like the song, Not In Me, My Righteousness, or the way this, yeah, My Righteousness is Jesus' Life is how the lyrics go. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him, and he alone can give me rest. I don't know why we didn't sing that this morning. We should have. (laughs) As you make it a habit to look to the gospel, look specifically, though, and deeply at how you are justified by faith alone, and do it often. Lastly, for the Christian, in applying this first point, a great weapon against the enemy is... Um, in this fight not to slip into works-based righteousness, a great weapon is to find your delight in your justification through faith alone. For some of us, we hear that phrase and that we're justified through faith, and, and we fall into this trap of thinking that it's just something to know, and that's it. But listen, if God's greatest desire for us is to know him, it's also to enjoy him forever then knowing how to delight in this can drive us to rest in him more than just knowing it could. It can be hard to keep something in front of you if you're just supposed to know it, but if it's something you can delight in, then that thing just naturally rises to the top of your mind. Being justified through faith alone isn't just something to know. It's something to be delighted in, and that drives worship. Now, I want to address those of you in this room who have not, to this point, trusted in Christ as your Savior. If you are in this room and you haven't trusted in Christ crucified that we've talked about, there is rest that is offered to you too. There's a sense in which you have carried a burden or guilt or fear that you can't quite explain, and you've done a lot of working trying to figure out how to rest in something, anything. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven eighteen. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to remove that burden of guilt and fear which is from sin, so that you could be free and forgiven and clothed in Christ's righteousness. And when he died, he didn't stay dead. He conquered death when he rose from the grave so you could enjoy Jesus forever. And you can enjoy him with all of us who love him too. You can be free from this burden of guilt and and sin forever. There is rest waiting for you in the work, in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus is so much better than whatever is weighing you down. Will you turn from your sin this morning and place your faith in Christ alone? That's all God asks for. You need not work anymore. So, Liberty Baptist Church, we have been justified through faith alone. 
But Paul takes it one step further and shows us one of the greatest joys of the gospel. And it's that we are also adopted, and that is through faith alone. That's my second point. We are adopted through faith alone. Not as long as the first one. Not only does our faith in Christ clothe us in righteousness, in his righteousness, but now we are adopted. We are made sons and daughters of God, as we read in our Romans 8 scripture reading. God doesn't want to just forgive us our sins. He wants to make us his children of promise, Paul calls it a little bit later in Galatians. He wants us to become his people, his family. Look down at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Paul's saying, look, if it was Abraham's faith that saved him and not the fact that he was a Hebrew, then what united Abraham to all God's people never was his lineage. It was, in fact, his faith. So this means then that if it's faith and not lineage, faith and not works, then we have access into the people and the family and the promises of God. And we can see that this has always been God's plan because of verse 8. So look at verse 8. That blessing that God gave Abraham there where he promised that all the nations would be blessed through you, that blessing is the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, um, what God knew in that moment that Abraham didn't know was that the gospel would be proclaimed through all the nations, and God's word was always pointing to the adoption of anyone on this planet who would come to him in faith. Look at how awesome this is, this plan that God has made. This was it. This was always the plan. This salvation and how God's people would be justified and brought into God's family, this in fact has never changed. This is how faith has always worked. So, even though there's so much more I could say about adoption and, and pull out of this text, I'd encourage you in your own time to read Galatians 4, because that is where Paul is heading with this, and that gives you the full picture of adoption. But th what I'm saying here is the adoption process begins when we place our faith in Christ alone. And there's a link here, obviously, between justification and adoption, for Paul to put them together. And that link is our faith that gives us access both to justification but also to adoption by the Father because of Christ. So the application for how to rest in this fact that our faith is enough for our adoption, what is it? God didn't save us like he was buying a piece of property just like void of emotion or something. He saved us with joy, and he saved us with desire, and he saved us with love. And he sent his son because he wanted to mend the brokenness, brokenness and make us his people, his children. So God was not reluctant to justify you. He was planning on it from the beginning of time. He, he had the date stamped on his calendar when he would give you a new heart and clothe you in Christ's righteousness. He had his heart and his eyes set on you. So find joy and find rest that your father, he is really committed to you, to having you as his child. He's not going to unadopt you. 
There is nothing you can do to escape his love and his promises. If my son Zeke, if he did something wrong, I'm not going to go and write it down in some log or something that I have hidden away. And I wouldn't ever fathom giving him up as my son in any way. In fact, if he faltered in some way, it's going to make me want to lean into my son. Man, I want to shape him more, shepherd him more, care for him more out of love. This is our father with us. And this is the posture he has towards his children, except unlike me, it's a perfect posture. It's, it's a perfect and secure sense. And he's more loving than we could ever imagine. A child doesn't have to work to earn their father's love or their father's promises. Instead, the father gives everything they have for their children, which is exactly what the only perfect father this world has ever seen, that's what he did. So I started this sermon off with reminding us how we're all skeptical when we're given a good deal and there's no strings attached and we think surely there's more to it and then we transfer that thinking to the gospel, right? Well, here's the twist. There actually is more to it, but it's not in what is being required of you. It's in what is being offered to you. And there is more being offered to you than you could ever imagine because what's being offered is Christ himself. And it's an offer. It's not a demand. It's not a law. So there's nothing to do but to take that offer and worship. So I pray that you will rest this morning afresh in his finished work and rejoice in the freedom that is now yours. And I pray that if you don't know Christ, that you will rest in his finished work for the first time today as you trust in him with your faith alone. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how quickly we are prone to wonder and forget our place with you. Help us to delight in your son's finished work and identify where we, where we may be trying to add on to the work that has already been done. Help us to rest in this finished work of Christ. Thank you for not just being our God, but our good shepherd and our good father. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for this time in your word together. In your name, amen.